Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. For a long time, I, I felt like it was my responsibility to try and help enable the best out of everybody that I was working with. And frankly speaking, that sometimes came at, at my own expense and, you know, personally. And, and sometimes it also meant that uh, I was doing people a disservice. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome back to another episode of The Truth Prescription. Super excited today. I got a chance to interview Mr. Danny Lee. He's the interim CFO and uh, advisor to the CEO at Abu Dhabi Securities. Very interesting guest, uh, atypical for my usual type of guest. Uh, he's very business focused, but what I did like is that we were able to translate a lot of the business principles uh, over to personal development, which is what we talk about here on The Truth Prescription. His personal truth was actually looking at how he learned to balance self-care and helping others. We talked about some of the challenges of the role of CEO, because I believe that all people are the CEO of their own lives. And what are some of the challenges they face that we were able to apply to people that are not CEOs in the traditional sense, but nevertheless have a group of, of people or circumstances that they are in charge of. And finally, we finished out talking about financial awareness within the context of the pandemic and some of the important tools that he actually shared that you can use as a CFO. Some of the important tools that he uses as CFO that you can translate to your life as a non-CFO, but that are super important in terms of making sure that financially because of the way the markets have been going up and down, that you are in a great place. And that's it. So close your eyes and open your ears and enjoy the interview. Good people, welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I am your humble host, Dr. Sekou Gathers. And today I have interviewing uh, for the first time, and I'm excited, Danae Lee. How are you doing, Danae? Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me here, Dr. G. Excellent. I already told them everything you do in the intro, so let's jump right in. Danae, talk a little bit about something in the business world, right? We don't necessarily need to go personal, but something in the business world, a, a truth or an acknowledgement that you came to that once you accepted it, allowed you to be a lot more successful in that space. To be fair, it's something that it was a truth that I came to realization on both in my personal and professional career. This was really around this concept of how much of a lifeboat you are for other people and how important it is to, to save yourself through, through what you're doing and, and trying to ensure that you're in a safe space, both personally and professionally. And I've worked in very large organizations, you know, with, you know, 40, 50,000 people spread across 37 countries. And 
and then much smaller organizations as well. And, you know, my mother was an English teacher and I've got a, a fairly large background in helping and teaching and coaching and guiding other people, even though I'm very focused on, uh, I guess, the corporate world. And for a long time, I, I felt like it was my responsibility to try and help enable the best out of everybody that I was working with in, in a corporate environment. And, you know, frankly speaking, that sometimes came at, at my own expense and, you know, personally. And, and sometimes it also meant that uh, I was doing people a disservice because I was trying to, to help them get to a point that they necessarily didn't want to achieve themselves. It was something that I felt that they could achieve. And so, you know, from that perspective, I think that truth really is around in a professional sense that, you know, you need to put yourself out there to help others as much as you possibly can and enable them to achieve the most out of their careers. But at the same time to have that, I guess, the EQ to step back and realize that you know, ultimately people need to help themselves. It yeah. sort of came at a time that was fairly, um, it sort of coincided with the time of my own personal life where I realized that I needed to, to definitely take care of myself. I'm a father to five kids and um, you know, it's very important for me to make sure that I'm saving myself first and, and looking after myself so that I can in turn be the best father that I can be and, and best provider and all those sorts of things for my kids as well. And you can't do that when you're giving all of yourself in every possible fashion without taking care and, and frankly being a little bit selfish at times with your own health, with your own mental health, physical health, and the things that you need to do as well. So once I realized and gave myself permission, in fact, both in a corporate and, and personal sense to take care of those things, I really found there was a, a great unlock and made me a lot happier in the process as well. Yeah, no, I can imagine. You talked about being selfish and I, I actually was being interviewed yesterday talking about that exact topic. There is definitely that fine line between mm. having, uh, I'll just call it some level of self-respect <laughs> and also doing for others. I spent a lot of time, I have three kids, not five, but I spent a lot of time sort of doing what other people had expected or wanted or this kind of thing. And people know my story, I had a huge illness and kind of made me sit for two years and then think mm -hmm. about, well, actually, what do I really want to do? Danae, that was great. You advise CEOs. Uh, well, you right now you're advisor to C CEO of Abu Dhabi Securities. Well, let's talk a little bit about the role of a CEO. For me, people are the CEO of their own lives. Give us a story about a challenge. You may, may not want to talk about the specific CEO that you're advising now, but a specific challenge that CEOs tend to have and how you help them handle it. The one thing that I see very consistently across CEOs that I help and advise and speak with is, frankly, it's very lonely. Once they get to that CEO level, they've isolated themselves or are feeling very isolated because almost everybody around them is reporting to them or has some kind of deference to them as the CEO. And then the other people in their sort of corporate life, are the board of directors, and you know they have their own challenges or their own demands on the CEO. So one thing that I've seen over and over again is that the CEO life is, is very, very lonely. And part of my role really is to help share that burden of loneliness and provide a, a friendly ear and somebody that they can speak to in a pretty, in a pretty uh, off the record sort of format. But I think, you know, one of the challenges that I see over and over again, and irrespective of industries or size of organization for the, for the CEOs outside of loneliness is just that ability to, to trust people within, in their circle and to be able to pass some of that responsibility down onto the executive leadership team. But then also we often see CEOs become 
very cookie cutter because they feel like they need to conform to a certain style or stereotype or set of behaviors as a CEO. And one of the things that happens is that they become almost impersonal, very difficult for the, for the rest of the organization to stay in touch with those people. And, and I think it becomes quite sad for some CEOs because they, they don't feel like they're able to bring themselves to their role and to the organization in a way that they feel most comfortable. And throughout the sort of the evolution of, of over the last 20 years of that CEO journey, we've seen more and more CEOs trying to find ways to express themselves. And with social media, with uh, corporate communication teams and ver- various other things, there are more and more channels than ever for CEOs to express themselves. However, they become more and more uh, managed. And so it's trying to find that right balance through that management process so that, they're, that they're being put forward in a particular light or a frame. And then I think the second thing is, you know, what we're seeing and, and what we've seen in different markets. And I've, I've largely worked in emerging markets for the last 15 years. I was in Singapore and Hong Kong for a long time and now here in the Middle East. And there's been business cycles in each of these regions. And you know, CEOs, particularly ones that are internal CEOs that who've risen through the ranks, they have a certain loyalty to the organization and to the staff. And it can be very difficult sometimes for them to make difficult decisions that impact people who are going to be ultimately leaving the organization or restructuring or you know, understanding that at different points in a business's life cycle, you need a different set of skills, just like we all do personally. You know, it's a different set of skills to be a parent versus a you know, university student studying versus somebody in the early stage of their career and later on. And it's the same thing. Those skills that you need at the different evolutions of a business require some very difficult decisions. And, and often it does mean that you need to take that emotion out of it. And that's something that's a real challenge. And you have to applaud the fact that it is a challenge because you don't want leaders who don't have empathy, but you also need leaders who are able to make difficult decisions. And frankly, sometimes my role is just to help them see that it's okay to make those difficult decisions. And, and ultimately, you're not just thinking about the individuals you're impacting, but also the individuals who are going to remain uh, in an organization or you know, how that organization is going to look going forward in the future. There was a lot, lot there to unpack, but think about a father or a husband, right? The way you described the CEO is so interesting. I've never thought about it this way, but they sort of have the board of directors over top of them and then their employees below them. And that can feel very isolating. And in a similar role as a father or, you know, or a husband, sometimes you might feel that could feel that way as well. Sort of, you know, isolated, maybe the, your board of directors is your employer and, People below you, maybe, you know, you look at it as like your responsibilities or your kids, but not really having a strong footing of where to go or what to do. What type of advice do you give them in just in terms of counteracting that, that isolation? Yeah, look, I think even in, in your response, there's quite a bit to unpack because, you know, as a father and as a provider and as a husband, you know, it can also be, feel very lonely. And I think the, the nature of the role that we now play as, as fathers and, and husbands is very different to what it was 30 or 50 years ago. But certainly, I think for the advice that I provide to CEOs, it's really about trying to understand what their personal core values are and communicating, um, you know, not shutting up because is in shutting up in, inside of themselves. My role sort of being there as a sounding board is to get them to see that it's okay to talk to other people and to sound things out. You know, you can do things uh, by socializing, you know, with your executive team and so on. Ultimately, what I ask the CEOs to focus on is 
number one, let's really try and put words around and say out loud, what is the real problem that you're trying to grapple with? Because usually the thing that's you know weighing on their head or has a black cloud over their head or providing them stress is really just the, the, the shop front of what's really going on that's happening sure. behind so them. The, layers. the why beneath the why beneath the why, right? Absolutely. And once you start peeling back those layers, then you get down to what's really, what's really going on and what's really happening. And I know it sounds very, very simple, but then trying to help the CEOs with some practical tools or steps around just what's the next step. You don't need to solve for what's going to happen, you know, 10 steps down the road or 20 steps down the road. And you don't necessarily need to make all the decisions right now. You just need to take one good logical step with the information you have available now, and then you reassess. And do you have more information, less information? And if so, then what's the next step? Because there can be a little bit of a danger of trying to wait until you have perfect information or all the options on the table. And look, the reality is in this corporate world, you will never get to a point where you have a perfect information sort of symmetry, right? And you you just need to be very comfortable making those decisions in a step-by-step process. I've never been in a situation in my personal professional life where I either had perfect information or the perfect situation at the same time. Like <laughs> it, almost, it almost never happens. And so there's a, I like the idea. And this is actually what I teach clients. Just write out the steps or think about the steps and then just execute one and then see what happens and then execute the second one. Because sometimes you get to the third step, you realize, oh, actually, step five is actually step nine. So in addition to being an advisor to CEOs, you've, you've also hold, have, have held CFO roles, right? Mm-hmm. And in our similar vein of what we're doing is sort of extrapolating some of these business principles. You posted something on LinkedIn that I really liked. It was a, and I learned from, it was a map of the US and it showed basically where all the, the folks had left and where they went to during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I think like New York and California were like lost like two, 300,000 and then like bunch of people went to Florida and the Carolinas and Arizona, and Texas, yeah. and Texas. Yes. in Texas. Yeah. And your comment, which was great, was like, well, the net net is people that couldn't move did. And then you talked about the, the sort of largest wealth transfer that we've had as a CFO, you know, what, how would you sort of take the tools that you use as a CFO and translate that to the listeners in terms of like personal finance, particularly coming out of the, the pandemic? Yeah, sure. It's a good question. And I think to the LinkedIn post, you know, look, I I don't live in the US and I'm an observer from the outside, but clearly the US market industry infrastructure influences so much of the rest of the world. And really, you know, what we see is this enormous wealth transfer throughout COVID. And uh, and as as you sort of pointed out, you know, people moving around, I mean, it's the people who can afford to move and, you know, can afford to, to seek out better opportunities in other geographies and that's translatable even to emerging markets. Um, you know, I'm an expat. I live here in, in the UAE. I have the, the benefit of movement so that if I see a great job in Singapore or London or Zurich, as long as my wife agrees and the kids don't mind leaving school, we can get up and, and we can go. So there's a real advantage to that. But to your question about, you know, how do you sort of translate some of what's happened throughout COVID um, as a CFO in, in the business world to people's personal lives? I think for one, you know, you really need to have a really solid view of your own personal financial position. And, you know, from a company perspective, some companies were looking at P&Ls on a daily basis, you know, certain aspects mm. of the company. P&L for folks that don't know is profit and loss statement, looking at what, you're ma- what your expenses are versus what you're making. 
Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. What's going out versus what's coming in. And so from that point of view, I think it's very important to understand what that cash flow is looking like for you. Is it going out, coming in? From that perspective, having a very clear understanding of your starting position. So again, a little bit similar to CEOs making decisions. It's about you know, understanding what's in front of you and how do you take that next first step. And where we see companies get lost and, and also individuals is if you ask them, well, you know, how much cash do you have in the bank? Or do you know when you're, even when's your next mortgage payment going to be taken from your bank account? Or how much interest do you pay on your credit card each month? Many people just don't even know the answer to that. In a corporate world, we call a lot of this leakage. Where's the money just leaking out from, from your particular business? And it's the same thing for a lot of people. I mean, how many of us have signed up to 25 different Apple subscription apps and just auto renews every year or every month? And it's five bucks here, 10 bucks there, or if it's an annual subscription to something, it might be 150 bucks. And this is just leakage. I mean, it's like a gym membership you never use. It's just this money that goes out the door and look, it adds up pretty quickly. And, and particularly at a time now with, with interest rates rising significantly, cost of living, you know, increasing significantly. And believe it or not, here in the UAE, even the, the price of uh, petrol has gone up enormously. It's, it's doubled in the last uh, 18 months. And, you know, we're an oil producing country here. And so you need to be conscious of these things because it is a, uh, you know, not to use to overuse too many analogies, but it's death by a thousand paper cuts. It's not that one extra coffee or that extra, you know, couple of cents at the gas tank. But over time, all of this stuff stacks up. And so from a corporate perspective, you know, we're always looking at, well, what are the things that you effectively can't change? So this might be your rent, right? You know, that this is kind of almost like a fixed cost. It's, it's just going to go out. Right. Yeah, yeah, correct. These things are fairly immovable. You know, they are what they are, you know, a car mortgage or a car lease, a house mortgage or rent. Then you have the other aspects, which we call variable costs. Right. And these are the things you personally have your hands on the levers for. So this might be, I mean, for me, I love coffee. So it might be, well, instead of having three or four coffees a day, have one or two. I mean, there's gonna, it's going to save you some bucks there. As we talked about Apple subscriptions and various other things, you know, these are the things that you have some discretion over and you have the ability to bring back in if you, if you want to bring them back in. As people come out of COVID, I think there's also a real tendency to want to treat yourself and reward yourself because, you know, it has been a tough couple of years. But at the, at the same time, it's never been easier to use kind of buy now, pay later type facilities, credit sort of facilities to then you end up back out over in front of your skis again. So you'll be in a position where you're paying a lot of interest to the banks. And look, banks make an awful lot of money off people like us who just don't pay our credit cards every month, right? And that's where, what's, where all that interest comes from. So, you know, I think having some structure to the way that you look at your personal finances. Now, I don't advocate that people go and look at their bills every single day. And I'm certainly not that sort of person, even as a CFO. But, you know, having a view once a month, just take, just having a check-in and a stock take and saying, well, let's look at my credit card statement and just go, are all the things here what I expected to see? Was all of this necessary? Is there anything I can think about that I can remove in the or next month? Or was all of this even me, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've, exactly. I've had situations where, I, to your point, I maybe didn't look for two months. And then when I looked, I said, wait a minute, I never charged this $300. And then come to find out it's fraud. But you, yeah, do, you exactly. don't look, you don't know. Yeah, for sure. And you just need to have that awareness, right? And even, you know, we do the same in corporates. We're constantly looking at things. You need to have an understanding of the numbers. And look, as a CFO, there's sort of a couple of aspects to being in the finance function. You know, one is being 
I guess, the hardcore financial controller. And this is the person who looks at the spreadsheets, looks at the transactions constantly. But your earlier question before when we were talking about the CEO, the why behind the why, yeah. you, know, you need to understand intuitively, well, what is that business doing? Like, does this make sense that expenses have jumped up this month or revenue has jumped up or gone down? And that can translate into your personal life as well in, in personal finances. And you, you sit there and you look at it and you think, well, does it make sense that my expenses doubled last month? You know, what is it that's in there that was not expected or is everything okay? You need to be able to understand and effectively narrate what's happened to your personal finances over the last month. For here in the UAE right now, it's 45 degrees plus humidity. They, by the way, this is Celsius. So, okay. Fahrenheit, I know that's be awfully hot. My AC bill is double at this time of year than what it is back in March, April. And so, you know, from that perspective, you just need to have an understanding of, of what are those things that are driving your P&L and expenses personally. So the one thing I heard that I want listeners to pay attention to is he said, find out or figure out where the leakage is, right? Where are you, where are you potentially losing money? And then one thing I, I teach people is find a substitute. Like for years I had a personal trainer and then I was like, well, I probably don't need him now. I've learned enough. I spent a couple hundred bucks on some equipment. I've saved same $5,000 a year. Right. Yeah. Just, yeah. So, you know, find substitutes for things. But I think the most important thing that we, 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 we've been kind of coming back to is you got to really want, because it takes work. It takes work to look at your finances every month. Right. So you got to really put yourself in the mindset and mind state of, wanting financial empowerment. If you want in financial empowerment and to sort of take the driver's seat of your personal finances, then these are some of the things that uh, that you should be doing from the mouth of a CFO. I'll offer two more things. The first is that there's a phrase that a lot of people use around uh, people trading shares and equities, you know, on NASDAQ and New York Stock Exchange, et cetera. And it can apply to your personal life and not just trading shares, which is, it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. So you're not trying to pick the high or the low. It's about being consistent in the market. And that's the same in your personal finances. There's no point in just going to take a look one month because your credit card bill blew up and then you never look at it for the other 11 or 12 months of the year. There's no point. It's about being consistent and taking, taking an active interest regularly in your personal finances that will ultimately pay dividends over the much longer term. Your example was personal trainer for me. I mentioned before coffee. If I go out and buy you know, three or four coffees, it can be 20 or 30 bucks US every single day. What's the substitute? I can have an espresso machine downstairs with the little pods and it costs me 80 cents a coffee, right? These are going to be some of the substitutes you can look at. But being consistent over a longer period of time is where as an individual, it might feel daunting, but over a longer period of time, you'll start to see that pay off. Okay. That's great. Uh, Danny, let's jump to our last section here called First Impressions. So I'm going to say a, a word and you're going to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. You ready? Sure thing. Number one, money. Difficult. <laughs> okay. Even as a CFO, I challenge, I'm challenged with it. Right? So it's, it's difficult. It's not easy. Yeah. Number two, truth. Not always obvious. Ah, nice. Number three, branding. Tricky, but necessary. <laughs> and when I say branding, for those listening, I'm talking about uh, brands like Nike, Coca-Cola. Number four, leader. 
No, oh, that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say not all leaders are good. Ah, I've worked with many many leaders at different levels and in different countries, and I've learned just as much about what not to do as a leader and what a bad leader looks like as I have with working with great leaders. So we shouldn't idolize absolutely everyone just because they have a job title. When I work with entrepreneurs. I teach them this phrase, real leadership is self-leadership. And to me, that's really the crux of it all. If you can manage your internal world, then it's a lot easier to not only have some focus and direction and communicate it, but then actually have people follow you. Absolutely. And, and I think also that point about managing yourself and, and leading yourself, where I often see leaders come unstuck is when you know things are fine in their corporate environment. But things are starting to unravel in their personal environment. And then mm. it inevitably has this corrosive impact on their ability to you know, show empathy, show patience and be clear in their thinking for their vision forward. Because probably the, the greatest relationship that we have in our lives is our personal life, whether it's our wife or our kids. And yeah. so the impact that that has on you, if it's not solid or not going in the right direction, it just it underpins everything. And, and unfortunately, you see a lot of people come unstuck because of that. Perfect. It's true. Number five, investments. Always invest when you don't think you need to invest because <laughs> usually people uh, are investing at a, in, a, in a business or a home at the wrong time. You know, like mm. you change the roof on your house because it's broken, but now it Bitcoin. costs you twice as much. Yeah, Bitcoin. <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> uh, yeah, or even better, Dogecoin at the beginning <laughs> of last year. But um, yeah. Again, investment is one of those things that just don't listen, don't listen to the noise, really try and understand. And, you know, look, it's a generational thing I understand, but, you know, for me, you really need to understand the business. I'm a CFO. I've, I've been a CFO of a publicly listed bank. I work at the Abu Dhabi Securities Exchange. I've been in banking and finance most of the last 20 years. Even for somebody like me, you would think is relatively well-educated on some of these things that's happening around cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, blockchain, et cetera. These things are still that they still confuse the hell out of most of us in the finance industry. Most, most people who say they know what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff, don't. They don't. No, <laughs> they, they, just, they just talk a big game. <laughs> wow. Number six, FinTech. Awesome. First word that comes to mind. Look, FinTech is, is pushing the boundaries and pushing things forward and, and disrupting tradi the traditional banking environments. This started 10, 15 years ago, really in many senses with just straight cross-border currency transfers. It used to be incredibly expensive to send money from, say, the US to, to the UK or Australia to, to Singapore, but and it was such a moneymaker for the big financial services and financial institutions. But what's happened over the last you know, 10 to 15 years is that we've seen innovation, we've seen friction be removed from the system, and we've provided a much better level of customer service generally to, to individuals. And and I think ultimately having that eye on the prize, which is how we're serving the customer is absolutely necessary and something that for most financial service companies, they weren't doing for a long, long time. They were just riding the gravy train. So absolutely, I welcome fintech. I Personally, I invest in a couple of fintech companies and I think uh, it's definitely something that uh, will help to facilitate better spending and saving habits you know, more generally as well. Personal note, my daughter's going to go to college I've never thought, thought I'd do this, but I'm actually opening account with for her this bank called Ally, which is mm -hmm. a completely online bank. They have no brick and mortar locations, but it's sort of in line with the same thing where it's it's just a lot easier. 
she can still do electronic transfers to and fro. But point is, we don't necessarily need to have a brick and mortar bank that you go into and come out of. And a lot of banks, at least I don't know about in the UAE, but in, in the US, they're closing branches. A lot of branches are closing because people are doing you know so many things electronically. Well, it's, it's incredibly expensive to run a branch network for one. So that's one reason why. And then there's also a, a significant drop off in customer usage. Yeah. But outside of you know fairly well-developed markets like, let's say, Canada, US, Australia, et cetera, one of the biggest unlocks for people coming up the curve in terms of um, their ability to look after themselves, serve themselves and, and, and have a better life is actually financial literacy and, and financial independence. So large parts of the world, you know, we, I sit, you know, sort of on the edge of the African continent and was, you know, in Asia for a long time. And the ability to bring people into the banking system, to allow them to pay for a phone bill, to, you know, allow them to make electronic uh, transactions and also to store the money that they make is, is a huge unlock, which is why a lot of the fintechs based here um, in the UAE and, and in this part of the world, as well as in Asia, is uh, very much focused on how do you bring that underbanked or unbanked market into the financial system? Because then, you know, people are, are not subject to sort of the black market of money changes and all these other things that are go on, that go on as well. And it provides uh, independence and, and financial security. And it's, it's a really key unlock, which is a lot of the problems that are being addressed by fintech are focused on that space right now. Really cool. I'm actually going to do a little bit of reading on that because that, that actually interests me. Like someone that is unbanked, how do they function, right? So it, it's really interesting. Okay, let's move on. Number seven, relationships. I think I've already used the answer. <laughs> Tricky. <laughs> but I would say that uh, relationships are always evolving and always require effort. Now, by when I say effort, I think a lot of people have a negative connotation. But I think really, you know, you need to invest in relationships. and You need to work on them. And, you know, I, I do stuff with sports and outdoor companies under a, under my company, Fluid State. And it's this idea of finding that that balance and finding that fluid state. And it's helping organizations optimize themselves. And ultimately, what you do find is that it's a bit like tuning a piano. You don't tune a piano once and then you never touch it again and it always plays perfectly. You, you know, you're constantly having to come back and, and tune and tighten this string or change this. And it's the same in relationships. Relationships change and evolve over time. You know, I'm, I'm a very different person at 43 than I was when I was 25. And so, you know, the way that you react to these situations, the way that you, you know, your needs um, uh, need to be met and the things that you want and those sorts of things, they all evolve over time. So I think as a better answer to your question around relationships, I think uh, investment and effort. Investment and effort. And the last one, one word to describe this. Denali. Passionately a father, uh, mad keen about outdoor sports, but just happened to be really good at finance and CFO type stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. All right. Awesome. All right, Danae, this is a great conversation. I think people got a good amount of uh, juice that they can pull out of this and, and apply it. Really good meeting you. I hope to you know continue to be in touch. For folks that are, we didn't even get into the whole outdoor thing because I, I, I just decided to, to, to not talk about that. But for people that maybe have outdoor companies that they're looking to build or, you know, any other information, you were really difficult. I couldn't really find a lot of information on you. It was hard to do research on you. I usually try to do a really, <laughs> really deep dive 
And I was like, man, I'm only like two inches in the pool right now. Uh, <laughs> where should they connect, if they want to connect with you, where, where can they go? Sure. They can find me at, at fluidstate.com. So fluidstate.com. My work kind of speaks for itself in the community that I work in. And, and, you know, most of the stuff that I do, particularly around the sports side of things, it comes through referrals and continuous sort of reach outs and people that I, I, I know through the community. But please, of course, uh, if people want to reach me, I'm at fluidstate.com. And then I can be found personally, Danae Lee, on, uh, at, at LinkedIn. And uh, if, if anybody wants to reach out, just uh, just hit me up there. There's no problems at all. Happy to have a chat. Um, and even if you just want to ask a question about anything we've talked about today or I didn't explain myself very well, more than happy to, uh, to, to bounce back. Excellent. Thank you, Danae. All right. I'm going to sign off as I always do, that the truth will set you free if you let it.